millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, September 22nd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the Supreme Court has set a date to hear arguments on Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban. We talk with activists on both sides of the state's battle over reproductive rights. And after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, the State Institutions of Higher Learning Board bans COVID-19 vaccine mandates on college campuses. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We now know that the Supreme Court will hear arguments on a case involving Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban on December 1st of this year. That case, formerly Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization, stands to potentially transform abortion access throughout the United States. It's already captured national attention and sparked profound debate. Valencia Robinson is with the Mississippi Abortion Access Coalition, which supports abortion rights. She speaks with Desiree Fraser. We say 15-week abortion, man. We are already under 24-hour wait. And most people, it is about two to three months before they seek care, maternal care. And so if they're not seeking the care that they need in a timely manner, uh, accessing an abortion here in Mississippi would be hard. And people will have to travel out of state. And that causes more financial burden on that person. Because in other states, there may be a 24-hour or 48-hour waiting period. So they will have to get a hotel. First of all, you have to travel. Then you may have to have hotels for lodging. And then you access the procedure. Then you have to come back here, you know, come back to Mississippi. So it's putting a great financial strain on a person seeking abortion. Go to the clinic and be seen twice and then wait 24 hours? Yes, ma'am. You have to go for your consultation. Then you wait the 24-hour, after your 24-hour consultation, and then you get the abortion. But some doctors don't work every day. So if you go and you still have to wait 24 hours, the doctor may not come back until a week later. And it's still, you know, putting you, it could get you out of the window of the 15-week abortion. Being here in Mississippi, if you are late going to get access care or trying to seek an abortion, you, you, you understand? So, like, some doctors here work maybe twice a month. And if you go on a Tuesday and it's a 24-hour abortion ban, so that means you go back on a Thursday and the doctor doesn't come back for, until the end of the month, you, you still, you know, your time is... You could get to up to your 15 weeks 
within that time frame of you trying to access an abortion in Mississippi. That's why we don't want 15-week abortion bans. We, we want the bans removed. Mississippi's only abortion clinic is the Jackson Women's Health Organization. But are you saying there's other doctors that will perform the procedure? I'm not going to say that. Um, but doctors, OBGYNs perform abortions. We're only getting the information from the clinic. So there are OBGYNs that do perform these services for women and pregnant people. It's just not advertised and publicized. Let's talk about some of the points that people who are against abortion or support the 15-week ban, their reasoning, okay? Andy Gibson's amicus brief says that there are programs and public and private partnerships to help women and children. There's family planning resources and prenatal care. Are those programs in place, and are there enough in Mississippi? Okay, there there are programs like this. One of the programs that Andy Gibson is talking about, I cannot tell you the name of the clinic. It's across the street street from the clinic. It's a, it's a pregnancy crisis center. And what they do is they would give you uh, assistance with pampers. They would help, but they also do sonograms and they're not, you don't have uh, doctors there to tell you how far along you are with the sonogram. So that's one program we would never refer anybody to. Um, there are programs that will help. But if you look at Mississippi daycare, child care, it's for some people is they can't afford it. It's not affordable. There's not a lot of protections for pregnant women at work. We're just careful on these programs that he's talking about because a lot of these programs are set up to talk women out of having an abortion. It's also mentioned that it puts the medical profession in a difficult situation of being involved in demeaning procedures. According to our state law, a doctor has the right to refuse to do these procedures. And it's not putting a doctor because that is, if a doctor does not want to do that, they don't have to do that. They can refer somebody. Just as House Bill 1523, when they made it a right to discriminate against LGBTQ people. And if a person there doesn't want to give a a gay couple a marriage license, they're supposed to find somebody. They cannot bring, it's not fair to bring their religious beliefs into a a person's health care, i.e. denying them the service because of their religious belief. So it's not putting a doctor in anything, especially when they took an oath to do no harm. Those decisions, anyway, should be made between a woman, a pregnant person, their partners, and their God, and not our legislature. Because if that's what they think the doctors, they're putting the doctors in a hard place, the legislatures and these pro-life people are injecting their beliefs into somebody's private life. So I don't see why that is any different than what they're doing. That was Valencia Robinson of the Mississippi Abortion Access Coalition. After the break, we'll hear a local voice on the opposite side of the abortion issue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks.
This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban is set to face the Supreme Court on December 1st. That date makes even more urgent the battle over reproductive rights already underway within the state. Laura Duran is the former president of Pro-Life Mississippi, which opposes abortion rights. She speaks with Desiree Frazier. It's not a decision about my body. That's another body in the, in the woman, in the female. It's another body. We have to, dis- to, to realize that. We are not allowed to make the decision to murder anybody. Our laws prevent that. God's laws prevent that. Yet they're saying, my body, my choice. And it's not their body that they're killing. They're still going to live. I'm still going to live. I could have aborted mine. You know, and all of these other people could have aborted theirs. But they chose to go with God's plan. And that is that a woman is uh, going to bear children. What if a woman doesn't want to bear children, and her birth control fails, she ends up pregnant. You're going to make her have the child? I will not make her do anything personally. That's what the law is doing. And I say it's wrong. I say that that baby has just much a chance to live as the mother that's carrying it. Now, there are so many more choices there's so many more health or help that these women can get. They can do what God planned for their body in the beginning. And if they get pregnant, have the baby. That doesn't mean they have to take care of the baby if they can't afford it. There are many, many, many women, men, parents that can have children that would love to adopt that child. And it's not our choice to kill now that's the christian attitude and that's the person that uh believes in god that's their attitude i could not have an abortion because even though i were in that spot in that trouble in that place because i do know that i fear god not man why force women into a situation that they can't afford in many instances probably won't have all the access to care that they need. Certainly the people that are are making this suggestion, they're doing it. They're doing it. And I'm not talking about the the mom, the one that's pregnant. I'm talking about uh, Planned Parenthood, pro-choice, They're not thinking about that mom. We see moms every time we go and work as a counselor at the abortion facility in Mississippi. We see those moms and you can look and tell, you know, who can afford it and who can't. We try, we, but we don't look that way, but you can. But what we do is try to offer them help, assistance. And you know, as I've said before to you and others, we do that. We do that when we know they need help. And the biggest help is the fact that there's somebody out there that will love that baby 
because they don't have children and they would love to have children. But if we keep killing them off, generations have been killed since 1973. And that is a sad thing. We don't, we have lost a lot of people by, by our convenience. Those moms, that ruling right there or that suggestion that the Planned Parenthood and others like them are telling the world is a lie. We do have help in Mississippi. Does it go through the life of the child? Because that was another issue following the child that will need that kind of support. I know the legislature last year had the opportunity to expand Medicaid to cover women after they gave birth 12 months out, and that was voted down. So the argument is that on the one hand, you want women to have the babies, but then on the other hand, you're taking away access to health care and services that would help them. And that is our government. And I can't answer for them why they did that, but I can answer for Christian people, pro-life people would get involved with that child and have. Pro-Life Mississippi has. We have many that have been uh, adopted. We've had many that's been helped along the way, and we are still doing that. So if people will ask, they can be helped. Laura Duran is the former president of Pro-Life Mississippi. Coming up after a Southern Hem- Southern Remedy Health Minute, the State Institutions of Higher Learning Board bans COVID-19 vaccine mandates on college campuses. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPV Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's Institutions of Higher Learning Board voted last week to ban public universities in the state from mandating COVID-19 vaccines. The move comes a few weeks after that same board contemplated, then voted against implementing a vaccine mandate. Kennedy Guest is, or Kenny, Kennedy Guest, yes, is a student at Mississippi State and vice president of the university's student government. He speaks with Kobe Vance. I kind of see this in two different ways. First, there is the idea of, of general vaccination. You know, you can harken back even to things like polio. And so I, I feel there's a possibility that a dangerous precedent is being set by not allowing vaccines as a whole. I think that universities and, and, and really, you know, any body where you're gathering people for long periods of time, um, which universities are, you need the ability to, to require vaccinations in some of these cases. With the coronavirus vaccine specifically, especially as politically charged as it is, and with the fact that there are still some shots and, and, you know, some booster shots that are under emergency use and haven't been fully approved by the FDA, I understand not allowing universities to mandate those shots. In some ways, it is a political statement whether or not you have the shot. It shouldn't be that way. 
But I understand that if, if IHL and if the university were to make one of those decisions right now, whether or not it comes from a political place, it's seen as a political action. And I think that it would damage the reputation of our universities to take political action. So I see where IHL is coming from on the COVID vaccine, and, and I agree with their decision to not allow it to be mandated. However, I believe they need to, at some point, reverse this precedent so that we can gain faith back in our vaccinations to perhaps stop future ailments. Did y'all as, an, uh, as a student body request vaccine mandates or anything like that? We did not. There are different ways to kind of go about governance. And, and what we have decided as an executive council to do is that we don't necessarily want to impose on the students and say, hey, this is what's best for you. Our goal is more to take what we feel is the general student opinion, um, which we kind of collect through our, our Senate and our cabinet and, and just through, you know, friendships and relationships and present it to administration. And in our shared governance model, student association is, you know, kind of the student government. The, the feeling that we get around campus is that people are ready to like normal and people are, you know, anti-mask and not necessarily anti-vaccine, but anti-vaccine mandate. And when I say anti-mask, I don't mean like no one should wear a mask, but just that people should have the option, especially if you're fully vaccinated. So what we have done is we, you know, when Dr. Kim or Dr. Regina Hyatt ask us what do students want, our response is always students are fully prepared to go back to normal, but we understand that that might not be the best decision right now. So like when um, when they made the decision, you know, we, we were maskless during the summer, and when they made the decision to come back to math, they asked us about it, and we said, you know, Dr. Keenum, Dr. Hyatt, we feel that students are, are ready to, to be done with masks, but with the Delta variant and especially how it's affecting young people, we as student leaders understand the need to have, you know, to bring masks back into the classroom, and we will absolutely defend your decision. You know, we will wear our masks. We will encourage other people to do so. And, and you know, if people complain, we'll take their complaints and tell them, you know, hey, I understand that, but this is why it's being done. So is there anything else that y'all are doing to try to ask students to get vaccinated if they're not or promote vaccines in any way? Yes, absolutely. So, um, you know, it, it is the opinion of kind of the student government that the vaccine is safe. The vaccine is something that's going to reduce infection and certainly reduce symptoms. So um, we're organizing kind of vaccination tents around campus. We're um, currently in the process of organizing a Q&A with some local doctors uh, about the vaccine. We promote the vaccine. We, we also try to lead by example. You know, we wear a mask in class. Uh, we do what we're told. Now, if it is recommended that you wear a mask outside, we, we may not do that because, you know, we're all fully vaccinated. But when it is required, absolutely. We're the first ones to have our masks on and the last ones to take them off. So we feel the best thing we can do is communicate to students that the vaccine is safe and that there are advantages to getting the vaccine. We have also kind of set a goal. Um, so our goal is 75% student vaccinations. Um, I believe that currently the faculty vaccination is around 85%. So we think that if we can hit 75, you know, that that's a great goal. That would greatly reduce our infection. And, we have been in talks with the administration that if we reach that goal, perhaps to you know lower the mask mandate to you know only unvaccinated students or, or make make it fully optional. But our biggest thing right now is promoting the vaccine and making the vaccine accessible for busy college students. 
And then lastly, I was hoping you could share with Mississippians the student perspective as to where we are right now as a state in reacting to the pandemic. How are students doing um, that you've talked to, and how are, you, how are you doing yourself? You know, as far as students go, college is obviously supposed to be a very fun, very social time. And that's been taken away from a lot of college students. And, and some students feel wronged or cheated. But I think that as we get further into it, students are realizing this is just another opportunity. We had setbacks. Obviously, online learning is not easy because it's not normal. And, and most students don't learn very well online. So students are recovering. Every semester has progressively gotten more and more normal. Um, now we're allowed to have things like social events on campus. And I feel like that has helped greatly because no longer is life just about school. So students are, are, are in a recovery process just like everyone else is. And I think students realize that, yes, your college was different, but everyone's college is different. Eighty years ago, our great-grandparents didn't go to co- get to go to college because they were, you know, fighting in Germany and Japan. Um, and this is obviously far less a burden than they had to bear. So I think students are getting better. Uh, we're on the road to recovery. I think you can see that from an administrative standpoint, from a faculty standpoint, from a student standpoint. But it's still a process. And, and you're going to have some students who are bitter over losing their college experience. And I don't blame them. I've been, you know, fortunate and I've, I'm very blessed to be able to serve as student body vice president and, and, you know, be involved on campus. But some students have lost that opportunity because of, of timing, you know, and how COVID worked out. We've probably lost some great student leaders to just the, the rush of online learning. And so I feel like, you know, until this kind of flushes out of the educational system, which will be quite a while, college will be different. Higher learning will be different. You know, education will be different. So students are adjusting, um, but recovering. Kennedy Guest is vice president of student government at Mississippi State University. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter, and fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.